You are listening to the Center Church Podcast. Center Church is an unapologetic urban church in the heart of Richmond for the heart of Richmond. Our mission is simple, to empower people towards a life-giving journey with Jesus. Enjoy the podcast. Thanks, Landon. Good morning. Good morning. morning. Uh, My name is Drew Wilson. I'm one of the clergy that serves in this community. It's a joy to gather with you all on this holy morning. And I want at this time to invite kids to head out to kids ministry. We got Casey back there. Casey, thank you so much. Can we clap for our kids? We love our kids. We love our kids volunteers. Thank you all so much. So good to see you all. Yes. Amen. Amen. All right. Thanks, y'all. Well, I have a, uh, a question for you all. It doesn't involve a weird word, discomfort. Uh, the question is this. Do you ever feel like Jesus is determined to discomfort people? And by that, I mean Jesus discomforting people, not Jesus followers, because Christians have been making people uncomfortable for a really long time, right? <laughs> we turn people off real well. We've, we've perfected that art, all right? But Jesus, talk about Jesus here. Do you ever get the sense that Jesus is determined to turn people off? Hmm. A few years ago at Boulevard, uh, we read through the whole Gospel of Mark in one sitting as a reader's theater. So people get different parts and engage and experience the Gospel in its entirety instead of in little Sunday snippets like we do, right? Now, did you know that it takes about 90 minutes to read through the gospel of Mark, 90 minutes. And did you know that Mark is the shortest gospel? Mm -hmm. And wouldn't you know that when we read a whole lot about Jesus at once, we get a different picture when we do that. At the end of Mark's gospel, my spouse, Shay, seminary educated, systematic theologian, writer extraordinaire, Shay said, I don't think I like Jesus very much. Because Jesus is an ornery character. I'm not sure if you were really following along in the reading today, but Jesus says some ornery stuff. He's compassionate at times, but often contrary, sometimes antisocial, determined, it seems, to turn people off. For instance, on their way, they entered a village, da-da-da-da-da-da. The Samaritans did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. Something Jesus is doing is turning off the Samaritans. And then uh, his disciples, James and John, do you want us to command fire to consume them? Yeah, Christians, right? Um, Jesus turned and rebuked them. Uh, And then another person said, hey, I want to come follow you. Jesus said, hey, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. You see, in our reading today, Jesus turns off a bunch of people, it seems, uh, Jesus with all this, you know, foxes have holes and birds have nests. Let the bed, dead bury their own dead. Ah, but I want to follow you. Ah, ah. Right? And it's not just rude. This last part, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit. No one is fit for the kingdom of God. It's not just rude. It's painful to hear. It's painful to hear because as Lutheran pastor Liv Larson Andrews points out, she says this line of thinking has been used to hurt so many people. No one who fill in the blank belongs in the kingdom of God, right? No one who 
does this. No one who acts like this or loves like this. It's painful to hear when Jesus' words sound like judgment. Where's the mercy? Where's the all are welcome thing? Where's uh, come to me all who are weary and I will give you rest? Where is Jesus just determined to discomfort people and even turn us away? Well, our worship series this month uh, has been so much about God's hospitality. Think about these last few weeks. Hospitality, remember, Pentecost happened when the disciples were gathered in a house. And we've been using this metaphor of a house. They were gathered in a house. The Spirit came and they spoke in different languages. And that week of Pentecost, Jamel led us in a reflection on the church being born and the doors of the house being blown open in holy hospitality, a holy day. And then the next week, we looked at those different languages. Remember, remember that? We looked at the different languages in the house, like God's welcome to people all over the world. And so we sang a bunch of songs in different languages together because the church is a house of many languages. And that counters xenophobia and Christian nationalism and white supremacy when the church is engaging in diversity. So we sang songs in different languages, and at Bingo Beer last Wednesday, Gael corrected my French pronunciation. It's not Seigneur, because I studied Spanish. It's not Seigneur, it's Seigneur. Louis le Seigneur. Thank you, Gael. Okay, last Sunday, last Sunday, the Reverend Meredith McNabb reflected on Sabbath, on the church being a place and a people and a practice of holy rest in contrast to and even protesting Western capitalism. Wow. And then this Sunday, what image from the house is most instructive for the church? Doors, tables, what's the image? Well, what does Jesus say? Here we go, ready? Jesus says, as they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Today, the instructive image is that there is no house. There is no house for the church. Here's what I mean. For the church, there is no safe nest. There is no hideout. There is no family compound or shelter from the fallout of Jesus' call to follow him. There's nowhere to run to, nowhere to hide. Martha and the Vandellas, yeah. Yeah. Once again, Jesus seems determined to discomfort us. Jesus would stymie even our worship series. Eh, is nothing sacred? Mm. <laughs> well, our gospel reading today has deconstructed our house, so let's examine the pieces now and see what's worth keeping. Gospel, after all, does mean good news. So what's the good news when Jesus seems so determined to turn people off? Okay, first off, the good news is that that is not what Jesus is determined to do. Whew, I made that up, all right? Uh, here's a scripture text. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he sent messengers ahead of him. 
On their way, they entered a village of the Samaritans to, do, to prepare for his arrival, but they did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. So here's this key distinction. Jesus is not determined to turn people off, but he is determined to go to Jerusalem. And that turns people off. That's different. At first, it turns off the Samaritans. The Samaritans will not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. What this is about, the Samaritans are turned off because they have a long-standing feud with the Jews like Jesus. Jews believe that the holy place is Jerusalem, and Samaritans believe that the holy place is Mount Gerizim. I mean, it's a, it runs way, way back, okay? Simply put, they have religious differences between them. Now, I know that religious differences never come between human beings anymore, but just try to imagine what that could be like, okay? But then, does Jesus turn away the Samaritans, even though they want to turn him away? Well, what does the story say? When his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Oh, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And Jesus turned and rebuked them. Oh, it's not that kind of Jesus. Thank God, right? In fact, when Jesus' disciples want to call down fire from heaven to consume the Samaritans, Jesus rebukes them. We don't do that. We don't do that. Isn't it good to know that when some Christians want to call down God's wrath on people that they disagree with, Jesus says no, right? Amen. Thank God. Thank God. Okay, then is Jesus really turning three people away when they come to follow him? Here's the text again. Foxes have holes, blah, blah, blah. Let the dead bury their own dead. No one who puts a hand to the plow is fit, right? Well, actually, look, Jesus doesn't turn any of them away. He's just making it clear what the stakes are. In fact, the people may have joined him. Doesn't say they didn't. Jesus doesn't discourage them. He's just determined that we be clear on the stakes. Liv Larson Andrews, she writes this. It sounds like Jesus has no time for goodbyes, let alone funeral planning when it comes to fitness for the kingdom. And yet, I believe a good funeral does the work of proclaiming the kingdom. What Jesus has no time for are our petty reasons for hesitating to answer the call to follow him. When the apocalypse is nigh, other stuff just doesn't matter as much. See, what discomforts us is that Jesus is like the Richmond-based brass band. No BS. No BS. Huh? Yeah. Because this is the same Jesus who enters a Samaritan village in the first place. Showing God's compassion and mercy over and above our differences with our enemies. And this is Jesus who sets his face toward Jerusalem, even, then, even when we know now what that means. What that means is Jesus' crucifixion and death. Still, Jesus says, I'm setting my face for Jerusalem. This is the Jesus whose way of kenosis, that's self-emptying. Jesus' way of self-emptying leads to resurrection life, but he will not be held back by our petty claims to comfort. 
And if we really want to live his way, then we need to say no to that stuff too. That's what this story is about. Elaine Heath is an ordained United Methodist minister, and she's retired from being dean and professor at Duke Divinity School. And she writes, Jesus' ethos of kenosis, of self-emptying, is a teaching that is strikingly counter to materialistic culture today. This text raises many questions for the contemporary church. In what ways do Jesus' words about his homelessness critique ecclesiology, that is, our thinking about church? What might it mean for the gathered people of God to practice this kind of kenosis in regard to material possessions and place? How can Christians provide, responsi uh, provide responsibly for family and community without selling out to a consumeristic culture? And these are big questions, right? Big, and we're going to sit here until we answer them all. <laughs> okay, no, these are really good questions for us to consider individually, but I, I want us to close our time right now with considering them as a community, okay? Because we are a community that has come together in and around a material possession. That is this building, okay? This building, this, this house, this stable place for us to worship and work. We've come together here, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head, right? And we are two months away from moving into a new worship space over in what was the gym. Now, oh my goodness, it's looking really neat. It's going to be beautiful. We're excited about it. We're going to invite lots of people. But the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Ouch. Do you feel that tension? You feel that tension? What is a church to do? Well, I have a few suggestions. First, can we lean into the hard truth that the church is not a building? Can we do that? Okay. Growing up, I thought that song, oh, oh I got to do it. I'm sorry. Growing up, the song, I thought it was so cheesy, that song, but now I realize how true it is. Y'all know that song? It goes like this. It goes, uh, what is it? Uh, mm, the church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people. I am the church. You are the church. We are the church together. All who follow Jesus all around the world. Yes, we're the church together. I mean, yeah, right? Like, that's some good stuff. I just didn't know. I just didn't know. The church is not a building. The church is a people. Didn't we learn this during pandemic? When we could not gather in person, were we still the church? Yes. Yes. It's actually essential to healthy church to distinguish the church from the building. It's really important. This is not the church. This is the church. This is the church. This is a building in which we gather as the church. So, okay, call it a church building. Call it the Randolph building. Call it Shirley. Don't call me Shirley. Okay, but don't mistake the building for the church, okay? 
Let's help retrain each other. We need it. We need it. Okay, second. As the church in this building, we have to do more than just gather here. Worship needs to be about more than just gathering. If we are going to follow Jesus, then we have to have our faces set for somewhere more than just a building. More than just gathering us, worship has to shape us, reshape us, and send us. Worship has to send us, send us into the world where the church really does its work for justice and wholeness and heaven on earth. There are 168 hours in a week, and you spend one hour here. We are here to live this out there. With Jesus, we are determined to live out the self-emptying kenosis love of Christ wherever we go. Not just here, wherever we go. It is not enough to be disciples of Jesus. We must be apostles. From the classical Greek, apostolos, meaning one who is sent off. We gather to be shaped and sent. Again, our faces set, determined to bear witness to God's sacrificial love in this world. That's really why we're here. So the last thing is I want to send you in this spirit. I know this is a little bit different because normally we send you at the end of the service. So actually don't leave quite yet. But I'm going to send you. I'm going to offer you a commissioning. And then we're going to feast together in that commissioning. And we're going to sing together in that commissioning. And then we're going to send you out. Okay? So I invite you to take some kind of posture of receiving. Whatever that is, you can just straight up, you can close your eyes, you can just hold out your hands, whatever you want. Friends, disciples, apostles, take authority. Take authority to renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, to repent of your sin, to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves. Put your whole trust in the grace of Jesus Christ and live his self-emptying way in union with the church together throughout all time and space. Set your faces for the places aching for hope that heaven would come on earth even through you. You are called and you are sent.